Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. Now, I know I typically talk about how much I hate something on the show. So today <laughs> I will switch it up a bit and talk about something that I absolutely love, which are public schools and USPS. Oh, you love the postal service so much. <laughs> I do. I love public school in the same way that I love the USPS in that does it have problems? Sure, sure it does. Is it frustrating sometimes? Absolutely. Do I sometimes opt for private shipping like UPS and FedEx? Sure I do. Can it be improved? Of course. But conceptually, I absolutely adore the USPS. It's like just such a neat little thing that we have. Like we could buy stamps and we can mail things, but I absolutely love the USPS. And I love the concept of public schools. Like, yes, let's educate everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think it's core to who we are as a nation, which is everyone gets a free high school education. We've talked previously about the quality and challenges around equal opportunity, but at a minimum, you know, everybody gets a chance to go to a school and get a high school diploma, which wasn't always the case and in some places still isn't the case around the world. Right. And I don't know about you, Cass, but pretty much until grad school, Hopkins, I was in public school. Even during undergrad, I went to a public university. I'm pretty sure Hopkins is private. I'm almost certain that Hopkins is private. Um, but my undergrad, University of California, San Diego, a good school, but it is technically a public university. So I'm wondering, did you go to public or private schools growing up? So always public school uh-huh. through high school. My undergrad was at Central Washington University. Woot, woot, go Wildcats. <laughs> Wildcats. Uh, public school. And then uh, I did my master's at Drexel, which is a private institution, and then Hopkins, which is private. But until graduate school, also, I was in public institutions. Same as me, all the way until undergrad, you were in a public school. Public schools certainly have its highs and lows. My experience with them have been largely quite positive. Our middle school and high school weren't the best, right? I had a lot of social issues as a person, but the education was pretty solid, right? Certainly having good teachers during high school could make a world of difference. But this is a public health podcast. So how is education related? to public health? Well, there are many reasons, but they all revolve around this now hot concept of social determinants of health, which is a very complicated and broad concept. So, you know, I want you to take a crack at it first because uh, I don't want to go first. What would be your TLDR definition of this concept? Okay. First of all, for folks who don't know what TLDR is, it's too long, didn't read. Yeah. <laughs> so sort of the brief version of it. In general, we think of social determinants of health as being things outside of the individual that impact their health and well-being. So this is education, employment opportunities, other laws and policies, access to resources in communities, healthy foods, sort of all the kinds of things in the spaces and places people live, work, play, all those kinds of things that can impact their health and well-being. So in a sense, this entire show has been not so secretly about this concept of social determinants health. Right. I think one of the core pieces of public health is understanding the range of things that impact both individual and population health. And so by necessity, we spend a lot of our time talking about some of these social determinants of health. But I think this might be the first time we've actually called it that maybe in an earlier episode. But anyway, (laughs) this will be the first time that we officially mentioned it and brought it up by name. And it's a very important concept. Some estimates have suggested that medical care, like the biological medical component, 
accounts for less than 20% of our health, right? The rest is completely social determinants. Like even if you give everyone the same elite medical care, that's only 20% of the health, you're still going to see health disparities. That's what that essentially means. Right. And we talked about this in the smoking episode, which is, you know, heart disease. If you're trying to prevent something like heart disease, you have your biological and genetic sort of risk factors, but then you have all of these other societal things and policies and access and healthcare that can impact your outcomes as well. Yeah. So things like economic stability, built environment, right? What sort of things you're exposed to. And of course, education, the topic of today, there is a huge correlation between education attainment and health outcomes. In other words, the more education you have, the healthier you are likely to be. Now, Cass, as of recording, you are currently teaching a research methods class. Actually, when this come out, you will still be teaching a research methods class. Probably a few more weeks. Yeah. yeah. Causation versus correlation is a constant battle in all fields of science. We know that there is a strong correlation, but what are some ways, like if we were in this field, what are some ways that we can start to show causation between education and health? What are some things that, besides just showing like a, a cross tab of education attainment on the columns and life expectancy on the roads, what are some ways that we could start pushing for causation? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think one of the challenges we struggle with in public health and doing public health research is that what we think of as the quote unquote gold standard for proving causation is being able to do some kind of randomized study, randomized trial, randomize some groups to be in the intervention and some in the control. And you know, we can spend all day talking about this, obviously. But the problem when we're thinking about public health or health policy or education, we don't always have the option to randomize people to receive an intervention or not. Sometimes it'll be unethical to randomize. Right. People. It might right. So if we wanted to do a randomized study looking at smoking, right? Throwing it back to last week's episode. It would not be allowed by our IRB to randomize some people to smoking and some people to not smoking and then compare what happens, right? Because we know that there are harms associated with smoking. Right. Not only would it be not allowed, uh, we would also find it morally <laughs> questionable to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> right. There's sort of research integrity that is also an important part of research ethics for sure. But there's also sort of beyond the ethical side of things or the integrity side of things, decisions are often made by policymakers, school boards, other folks who might not want to be randomized into things. And so you've got bias in who may select into something versus not, right? So when we're thinking about moving towards the ability to answer something in a causal way, we're really wanting to look at change over time. So if we can't randomize, can we take the available data that we have? Can we look at baseline trends in a group that had a particular intervention versus not? and look to see over time what's happening before and after education, for example, was put into place. You can also follow groups of people over time, like in cohort studies, where you may enroll folks in a certain program and follow them over time. But it can be very challenging when we're thinking about something like health, which is impacted by so many different things, to be able to isolate education as one particular cause. We know that it's strongly associated, but how much is that related to someone having good health 
and then being able to continue into college and get better education, right? There's a potential reverse causation. You have to be healthy in order to engage in an activity that may then lead you to be more healthy down the line. Yeah. You sort of mentioned like a host of things that if we were trying to prove causation between education and health, that we would need to consider them. The last thing that you said, essentially, one of the things that you have to do is you have to disprove alternative explanations. So some people would say, well, it's not, maybe it's not education causing health. Maybe it's in order for you to attain education, like the reverse is true. So in order for you to prove education causes health, you would need to find a way to disprove the fact that maybe it's health causing educational attainment. So, Or other things that might contribute to health, right? So when we're thinking about alternative explanations, we're thinking about, can we rule out other factors that may lead to this correlation. Right, right, right. Can we rule out other factors that don't have as large of an impact as education? So in order to sort of build a stronger argument that education is causing better health, we'd have to say, okay, we can rule out some of these other factors because while they may be associated, the effect isn't as large or it's not as consistent. You know, another way in the absence of randomization and the absence of sort of some of these more rigorous ways to study things, if we see the same association in different units, sort of meaning different populations, different geographies, different time periods, we and we see that same relationship over and over again, even though it might not be a causal analysis, it can help us articulate a causal argument. Because when you see things replicated over time and place and people and all of these different things and you continue to see the same findings, that can impact or strengthen your ability to make a causal argument. So yeah, again, there are many things that you need to consider. And thankfully, a lot of researchers have dived into this and they have done pretty much all the things that you mentioned to sort of bolster the claim that education attainment is directly causing health outcomes, whether maybe just by a little bit, but a noticeable amount. They have done things like controlling for other factors. So what if we control for income or we control for geographic area? What if we control for race? They control a bunch of things and they still see a relationship. They also have gone into finding mechanisms and proving just that mechanism. So maybe not education to health. They could say education to just health literacy. And then if we can prove that and then we could prove health literacy to health outcomes, then there you go. Like whatever you mentioned, they have done it. And so now we have a pretty good, I don't want to say, a you know, a, a definitive grasp. Of- no, but I, I think, you know, hearkening back to what I was just talking about and some of the things that you were just mentioning, there's a, a fairly robust literature indicating that there is a significant association between education and health such that I think most people would agree that having better educational outcomes is going to be associated with better health outcomes in the future. There you go. That's you put it the best. There are many topics that we can discuss regarding the connection between education and health, uh, which we'll certainly revisit in future installments of Education is Public Health. But for this episode, I want to focus on specifically public schools and why they are important. Again, I must preface this section by saying that there's a lot of issues with our education system. I'm talking more conceptually, right? I'm talking more like idealistically why public school is a good thing. I remember in the poverty episode where we talked about how not everyone have the same opportunities growing up. Right. So I think one of the things we've talked about regularly in the show is that while everyone 
perhaps on paper uh, has a similar opportunity, right? And we started this episode talking about how everyone has a right to a high school education. But just because everyone has access to an education does not mean that that is the same, that the schools are the same, the teachers are the same, investment in the community is the same. It doesn't mean that some of these social determinants of health that impact the likelihood of student success are the same either, right? So if you live in an area where there's high rates of violence and limited access to resources and other forms of concentrated disinvestment in community, the stress and trauma of growing up in that community is going to impact your ability to perform well in school. Like that's just that's just a fact. Yeah. That is a thing. And so it is false to say that everyone has equal opportunity because a lot of folks are starting at a disadvantage. And then we sort of blame them as individuals for not being successful in their educational attainment when they started five miles behind the rest of us trying to catch up in a one mile race. Yeah, exactly. And Basically, there's wide variations, right? And public schools, at least ideally, again, there's a lot of issues with our public school system, but public school ideally is a step towards addressing that by providing everyone, theoretically, again, access to free education or next to free education. You are attempting to level the playing field, at least attempting, right? Again, lots of issues. We're going to put that aside. But just conceptually speaking, that's what public school is doing. And it is free or next to free. It is open to everyone, as in they cannot reject people. Almost every state have laws saying that you cannot reject a student from public school. Uh, It is quite accessible, right? Not 100%, but accessible in a sense that you could just go and it's there. And obviously, they provide education. They also provide extracurriculars, uh, after-school stuff. And by law in some states, they are required to have services like transportation, lunch programs, school health programs, like a nurse's office providing more than just an ice pack, and social services and various assistance. Like some states are by law to have those. So it's more than just public education. It's just like a resource for the community that is kind of just there. Yeah. And in many communities, particularly areas where there's been systematic disinvestment and concentrated disadvantage, schools serve as a primary food resource for some kids, not just through free breakfast and free lunch, programs, but also many schools have food pantries where families of students in those schools can access food for themselves and their other family members. So it's a really important social service and social resource in many communities. Yeah. And also sending kids to school. And I'm, I'm going to sound like a boomer for saying this. <laughs> You're shaking your head. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I, I just really want to circle back as we've talked about in prior episodes. <laughs> Let me know how you feel in 20 years and then reflect back on how you I feel know. right now because you got a long way to go before you get to say those kinds of comments about feeling or sounding like a boomer. I know. Okay, fine. Let me rephrase it. It's going to make me sound like <laughs> a parent or a curmudgeon for saying this, but sending kids to school keeps them out of trouble, right? It's a place for them to go, for them to social, for them to you know spend time there instead of doing whatever else, right? And it's a free daycare essentially for parents. So they could largely not worry about, largely not worry, right? They obviously still worry. They could, you know, largely not worry about where their kids are during the weekdays. And this is why remote schooling has been such a contentious topic right now, because when kids don't go to school, it puts stress on the parents, right? How was your remote school experience like two years ago or one year ago? Yeah, it was interesting. So, you know, my kids are teenagers and generally self-sufficient human beings, but 
when there were issues with computers or, you know, anything happened, you know, I'm working from home. And so I'm having to sort of serve as IT services and, (laughs) and help them get hooked up to different things. But the most important piece of this remote school issue is that James and I have both have good jobs, right? We have stable, secure housing, like Mm -hmm. we have good internet, we Mm -hmm. have sort of everything we need in the home for the kids to be successful with remote school. I also had the exceptional flexibility and actually the requirement of working from home. (laughs) In the beginning, it was forced. (laughs) You know, it it wasn't an issue for me. I could do my job from home. But there were a lot of folks who were not in that same situation. So either they have young kids and they're working from home and still having to sort of manage their kids in school while they're trying to work. Not easy. Or or they're not able to work because their kids are home and they have little kids and they can't leave their six-year-old home alone for eight hours while they go to work. So I know for us, we were very lucky, but for a lot of others, it caused a lot of problems. Yeah. So school is kind of like a resource, not just for kids, but for parents as well, right? It's a place for your kids to go. And for a lot of parents, that is something that they need in their life to sort of either do their job or whatever, right? So that's why public school is so important, right? Because it is a resource to the community surrounding it. Now we will move on to the part of the show that may get controversial. My favorite part. What was your perception of private schools when you were growing up and now? And I think we covered this already. None of us went to private schools until grad school. Yeah, I had a very weird perception of private school as a kid. So I lived in a fairly well-off suburban area and I didn't know anyone who went to private private school. We had very, very good quality public schools. The school was in the neighborhood. And so we would all walk. I mean, it wasn't a short walk, but we would all sort of in the morning walk to school together. So my only perceptions of private school were the things I saw in like movies and on TV, uh, sort of all of the things. And honestly, the thing that stands out to me the most, thinking back to what I thought of private school when I was younger, the movie, um, I think it's called Cruel Intentions, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Philippi. They're a super rich family. They go to private school and Sarah Michelle Geller is like this, she does drugs and she's just like gets into all sorts of trouble <laughs> okay. and is doing all sorts of bad stuff. And so I, for a very long time, thought that all private school students were like ultra rich and just super bad people. So that, you know, I've, that's evolved over time. Now, I mean, I, yeah, to be totally honest, I have kind of mixed perceptions on Same. private school. So I know that there are lots of folks who send their kids to private school that are religious private schools. Like you know them in person. Yeah, because they want to raise their kids with a particular set of values or whatever it is, or, you know, they just, they want to send their kids to private school because it's sort of a status symbol. Yeah, that's also certainly a thing. As well. So, and not to, I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but, you know, people have varying reasons why they might send their kids to private school. You know, like... (laughs) (laughs) Save it, save it, save it. No, no. You know, I was thinking about the sort of charter school concept, which is sort of in between. We haven't really talked about that. But John Oliver has sort of taking the the model of the private school and making it accessible to a wider range of students. And actually, it's funny that we're doing this episode because in my class, one of the kind of 
brain teaser small group discussions that I make the kids go through. Kids, whoops, sorry, students go <laughs> through <are> adults. <laughs> when they when we're talking about sort of research design issues, the difference between academic performance between public schools and private schools and why it's not fair to compare, like make a direct comparison between public and private schools. Yeah, apples and oranges. Yeah. Right. So many things that we've talked about, these social determinants. Anyway. Mixed feelings. <laughs> I'll say this one last thing because I know I'm rambling. As a parent... I certainly want my kids to have the best education available to them. Naturally, yeah. But we already pay so much in taxes for our yeah. school. <laughs> like, I, I just cannot, I could not bring myself to pay more to send my kids to private school when I'm already paying taxes to send them to public school. So I will say my feelings towards private schools growing up is kind of the same as yours, right? I don't know anyone personally who went to private schools. So... Uh, yeah, to me, it was what the movie set suggested, which is it's a rich people school. And now I also think I share similar mixed feelings with which we'll certainly get into either in the bonus or in the future episode. But basically what the point I was trying to lead to is historically speaking, private schools were a tool for segregation or more precisely maintaining segregation that used to exist in the public space, but legally it can't exist in the public space anymore. So they were a tool to maintain segregation, which is why you see a lot of religious private schools or private schools located in certain areas that quote unquote cater to the population there. And this is not the controversial part. This is just history. The controversial part is this, right? For the last half a century or so, people on the, and you know, I'm not going to name particular names, I'm just going pick to pick a random letter, people on the R side have been actively trying to dismantle public schools under the guise that they're doing what is best for the children, right? So we mentioned the idea that pro-life people aren't really pro-life, they're pro-birth. School choice people aren't really about school choice. They're actively trying to undermine public school because surprise, surprise, private school also uses public dollars. And sometimes they can avoid taxes based on whatever status that they carry. And it's not fair to say they are school choice because you can't say, okay, you have option A and option B, and I'm going to take option A away. That's not really a choice. What I'm saying is there has been a concerted effort for the last half a century to undermine our public school system in favor of establishing private schools or voucher programs. You may have heard of this. And I just want to say that from a public health perspective, even if you give people vouchers, it's very different to having a publicly accessible resources just there for anyone to go to and they can't reject everyone. Whereas a lot of private schools, they reserve the right to reject students that they quote unquote don't fit their school motif for whatever reason that they use. Well, now, of course, the anticipated pushback uh-huh. is that, oh, but some private schools will give out scholarships for students who are you know, lower income or can't afford tuition, etc. And sure, that, that's the okay. But when we think about equality of opportunity, mm-hmm. sort of saying, oh, well, we should continue to get to do what we want to do because we provide a few slots for other folks to also come to the school. It's not the same. It's not the same. And, you know, if people want to send their kids to private school because they have the money and the resources and they want to do that, I'm not necessarily anti-private school. I want to make it none of us are against private schools, right? Right. I have no problem with private school. What the problem I have is when folks are working to erode the quality of our public school education and then tell people, oh, but we'll give you a choice 
taste. And then you're going to end up with something that's better than what we currently have, which I think is a load of crap. Yes. But yeah, you're basically public school get money per student that attend. Right. So by actively taking students away from public schools, you are in some ways undermining it. So this is a topic for another time, because like this is something I'm going to get super feisty about. Like we're talking about school, right? We're talking about education. Mm -hmm. We have not touched on and need to have probably a whole series of episodes on teachers. Oh, yes. You know, teacher compensation, resources, all those things. So I just want to raise like we're talking at a high level. We recognize there's a whole bunch of things that contribute to a quality education. And yes, we need to talk about teachers at some point. I just, I don't want anyone to think that we are ignoring that. No, we are not. It's just that we have a limited amount of time. So um, that's why. So we will return to this topic once more in future episodes where we will bust some common myths about public schools and private schools. But we will end with the same idea that public schools are very important to the communities that they serve. And it's not school choice if you actively undermine one of the choices. That is very true. And please join us on Monday for our spicy, more opinionated show after the show called Public Health Plus, where we will dig a little bit more into school choice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word about the show so more and more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH or Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Krifasi. Send us your questions or comments to EverythingIsPublicHealth at gmail.com and reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. Please also give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show immensely. If you want to support the show directly, we have a Patreon page and you can find the link for that in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.